0: Today's scriptures are found in the first chapter of the book of Colossians. Prepare your heart and mind for the reading of the holy text. May you be made strong with all the strength that comes from his glorious power. And may you be prepared to endure everything with patience while joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has rescued us from the power of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him, all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers. All things have been created through him and for him. He is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him, God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So I want to take
1: just a moment to talk about something very important. Myself. (laughs) No, I'm kidding. Just Just a little bit of light housekeeping before I start talking about the message today. Many of you have been so kind in asking about... Um, how i'm doing in school and if you're new i should tell you that i'm in graduate school and everyone here has been so supportive and but also a, just a little bit confused because they're like hey we saw you get that stole a, you know a year ago like aren't you already doing the thing that you're now in school to do so i just wanted to tell you a little bit about it so i There are actually three types of, and this is sort of Methodist 101, or just a refresher in case you need it. There are three types of ministers in the Methodist church. There are ordained elders, and our ordained elder is Mike Holly. There are ordained deacons, and that would be Robert Mercer. And then there are licensed local pastors. Now, it is a step above getting your fishing license, I did go to school, it was about a three or four month process, a year process, but I do not have, unlike the rest of my team, my masters of divinity. I have not been to seminary. So I decided um, back in January, never make big decisions on January 1st. That's just a piece of advice. But I decided on January 1st that I wanted to take it a step further and get a little bit more education. So I enrolled at Duke and I'm involved in a hybrid program there, which means that I'm basically go once a term. I do an intensive 8.30 to 5.30 every day. We worship, we study, we have fellowship, and then the remainder of the semester, I'm online. So if you don't see me in here, I'm usually not there. I'm actually just down the hall in modern worship, but that's sort of how it works. Um, People have asked me how long it will take. Well, I feel a little bit like Moses, probably in the wilderness. It's kind of hard to look beyond the next little bit, but just between us it'll it'll take that many years can't say the words out loud. If you live there and are residential, it takes three years. but because I'm hybrid and working full time, it takes us um, a little longer so I started out because I really just wanted to gain the head knowledge. You know, I wanted to be smarter. I wanted to know the scriptures more. But what has become an endeavor for more head knowledge has quickly become an endeavor of heart knowledge as well. I feel like I've gotten to know the people of Israel as I've walked through the scripture of the Old Testament, just the first part of it, how passionately they worshiped and loved God. I've met other Christians from all over the country and even a few from outside of our country. I've met wonderful people in other denominations that have expanded my knowledge of just how great and big our God is. And so it's been a really wonderful opportunity and I just wanted to say thank you. Thank you to all, stop Larry. Thank you to all of you um, for granting me the time because obviously I haven't been preaching as much but most especially thank you to the staff, and the other pastors here who have just been phenomenally kind in, in letting me do that. So today we celebrate, as Suzanne mentioned, Christ the King Sunday. It's actually why the pyramids are white today. We're, they're about to change to blue for Advent, but they're only white on high holy days. I was remembering that I actually... Uh, Preached on Christ the King Sunday last year. It's also called the Reign of Christ Sunday. So in my head, I was like, "Oh no, what am what am I going to say that's new that you know that they haven't heard?" Then I realized y'all probably don't remember what I said any more than I do. <laughs> I was giving us all a lot of credit there, wasn't I? So um, I think we can talk about it again it brings up something that has come to my attention as i've been studying hebrew scripture and that is the importance of tradition of repetition over and over in the old testament you'll hear god or one of god's servants say hear these words O israel hear these words Hear this, is real, And it may be something that God has repeated a million times before, but it bears repeating again. It's why we observe the sacraments. It's why we say the Apostles' Creed each and every Sunday, why we celebrate communion, why we celebrate and observe Advent. It's a way that we actually learn and live our faith by reciting those words together. There was a bright, shining moment in the pandemic. I have a really dear friend, uh, Julie Cameron, and she was telling me about her family's at-home communion experience. And she said on Communion Sunday, you know, they had their, their elements all ready to go as Kip was doing communion. And they realized that their daughter, Mallory, who I have been honored to know since she was about yay high, and now she's one of our great seniors here at Asbury, could recite every single word to the liturgy. I'm talking confession and pardon, the great Thanksgiving. They could just turn down the volume and she could say the whole thing. Now that's a great party trick, I will tell you. But beyond that, it says something. It says that those words are part of her now, part of who she is, part of how she will remember and hopefully pass on her faith to her kids, to other generations, and it's why we do that. I think about how many times the scripture that Kate read today has been read before, has been heard by ears before. There's something absolutely beautiful About that. So in different language and in different places, those words really speak about what we're talking about today, Christ's kingship, the universal kingship of Christ. Background for text is important always. So I want to tell you a little bit about this short book, Colossians. It was written by Paul, we think, Poor Paul. I wonder if he knew there would always be debate about whether he wrote something or not, but there is. Like a lot of other things he wrote, it's debated as to whether Paul wrote this because it does contain some language that is sort of un-Paul-like. Just made up that word. He writes to dual churches, Colossae and Laodicea, probably somewhere around where modern-day Turkey is. This is one of the many letters that he would have written while he was imprisoned and probably around 61 to 63 CE. Now, unlike some of the other churches he was writing to, he'd never actually been to either of these places, never visited either of these churches. Um, His friend Epaphras had started this community and he was a little concerned about some of the religious practices that was going on in those churches, the new churches, and so he asked his friend Paul to write to them. Paul's letters were designed, just like Kate read, to be read aloud to a group of people. These people actually were facing something that we don't today, that we are privileged to live in a country where we can observe religious freedom, but the people of this com- this city and the Colossians were actually persecuted quite a bit for this new faith that they were practicing. I want to look at it in sort of two chunks: 11 through 14 are the is the first chunk of verses, and then 15 through 20 because it really is sort of split up that way. That first little chunk of verses is about inheritance. It's actually about Inheritance of the triumph of Christ, which is a little bit odd. How do we inherit the triumph of Christ? And also, inheritance sort of has that connotation. It implies later, something that we might receive later, an inheritance. But Paul is saying something else entirely to these folks in Colossae. He's saying, this is yours, here, here. Now, today, if we imagine he was standing right here talking to us, he would probably say much the same thing, maybe just a little differently. He would say, you are strong and you can endure. You have that kind of all-encompassing, maybe not CrossFit kind of strength, but you know the kind of strength, that kind of strength that matters when nothing else matters is left. You have the ability, he would say, to celebrate with joy and with thanksgiving because you are a follower of Christ, so you're a part of God's family. No matter where you sit at the Thanksgiving table this year, whether it is by your most favorite relative or maybe your not most favorite relative, it doesn't matter, you are part of God's family, and that is something to be thankful for. Also, God has given you a free pass out of the darkness, Paul would say, so that you can live in freedom in God's Son. Now, that's me paraphrasing, but I think you get the point. Our inheritance today is the exact same as the people of Colossa 2,000 years ago. It's not a question of when we will receive this inheritance, but how and when we will start living as though we have received this inheritance. Verses 15 then through 20 are actually a hymn. And this is where it's unpaul paul like It would be unlike Paul to insert a hymn into the middle of his message where he's usually giving advice. And what's kind of unique about this, and I don't know this, so maybe fact check me, but this would have probably been one of the first hymns of Christianity, because it's not a Hebrew hymn, it's not a psalm, it is a Christian hymn all about Christ that Paul inserts here. But he knows his audience, and I think that's why he put in the hymn. These people, demographically, it's gonna be a region made up of Greeks, of Middle Eastern Jews, and a lot of other different people, different levels of education. It's a very cosmopolitan area. They were very much trying to figure out where is God in the universe? Where is Christ's place? in the universe and among the stars. How can this God be so many different things in one? So they wanted to know where the presence was found, and Paul answers that, and then some. He says, God exists in the universe, and also God exists in face of dictators and rulers, like Caesar, who he lived under. He uses the word all seven times in this passage. Seven. And it's funny, you, if you reread it with the word some or a little or one-tenth, it does change the meaning quite a bit. I think he means all here. In a time where Caesar is everywhere, even on the heads of a coin, Paul says Christ is all. Christ is the image of the invisible God, he is everywhere. He has the nerve to say that even kings, rulers, and empires were created not only for God, but through God. Now, he goes even further. He says, Christ-born is the first of all creation. The firstborn of all creation. Now, I want you to think about The connotation of firstborn in that period, especially in the Jewish faith, means something totally different today, doesn't it, really? Firstborn meant you receive the inheritance, you're the chosen one in the family, you get the business, the land, all the things, you get the favor from the family, A king of man, the firstborn of a king, is born of lineage, only by lineage. Man has to be born into this by birthright. That's the only way you can be the firstborn. Caesar would have been born into the kingship by birthright and lineage. But Christ, Paul says, surpasses that. Christ is the firstborn of all creation. Because Christ is pre-existent. I know, kind of hurts my head too. It's a little hard to think about. It's reminiscent of the language of 1 John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him and without Him. No one then came into being. All right, and there's, there's more. He is the firstborn of the dead. Let's let that sink in a little bit. It's a heady thing to say. The glory of what Christ does for creation happens on a cross next to two thieves, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him God was pleased to reconcile himself to all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross. So Christ connects the act of resurrection back to the act of creation. Resurrection not so much as raised from the dead, but a new creation. Through Christ, we are made into a new creation. He is the firstborn of creation, the firstborn of the dead. And, if you just really want to think about it, and he will come again. But he is there all along In all things, the Alpha and the Omega, nothing begins or ends without God. What does Paul's message mean for us and for these followers of the new way? Well, for us, it means there is the only one, not more than one, one God to worship. And if we're serious about Christ, it means viewing everything, our lives, our scripture, our mercy, through the lens of Christ's birth, death, and resurrection. It means that when Paul said, so that he might come to have first place in everything, he meant everything, all. It means that we can rest From our own efforts to be king. (laughs) I'm going to quote a wise friend, a young friend, Michael Bowman. Don't you just hate it when young people are smarter and wiser than you? But the props are due. The props are due. He said, you are so loved that God came for you. Give up attempting to create and run your own kingdom and let go. Lose your life for the sake of finding the abundant life that Jesus has offered you. Take him up on the invitation to rest. Relationship, acceptance, love, rest. It's great to be able to let go of the scarcity and the fear we feel and embrace the abundance because we don't have to be in charge of the universe, the people, or situations in it. For me personally, submitting my will to God's will, really learning how to trust in God, has been the most freeing thing that has ever happened to me. I have found a freedom in that unlike anything this world can offer. Most kingships on earth don't involve a lot of freedom. I think that's great news. Our kingdom doesn't have to crumble if our kingship is in Christ. When our 401K takes a massive hit, our politician doesn't get elected, our team doesn't win. When we face a diagnosis that is unexpected, it may feel like things are falling apart, but sometimes they are just falling away. Amid pain, strife, and struggle, which each of us walking around here with two legs will face at some point, we can find freedom in living in God's sovereignty, a little light in the darkness. Once we accept Christ's kingship, we are free then and only then to serve and love others, which is what we exist for. The very reason we are here is to serve and love others and God. And we can do that just as we are and just as they are. We need not try to be king. Christ reigns as king. Christ, the visible image of the invisible, rescuing, loving, mighty God whom the psalmist speaks of. I think it was no accident that the, the lectionary psalm, there's an Old Testament, a psalm, and a New Testament reading for each day of the year, is Psalm 46. It's one of my favorites. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble, a very present help. Present, not past, not just future, present Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth should change, though the mountains shake in the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble with its tumult. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in that city, and he shall not be moved. God will help it when the morning dawns, the nations are in an uproar, the kingdoms totters, but he utters his voice and the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Be still, And know that I am God. I am exalted among the nations. I am exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Today, on this Christ the King Sunday, this Sunday before Thanksgiving, before Advent, I think Paul offers us a great nugget of wisdom. Christ is the beginning, the firstborn of the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. What things would change? What relationships would alter? What arguments would cease? What kindness shown? What rest taken? What dispute set aside? What love given? by first asking this question. Does this allow Christ to have first place? God, would you help us to live every day with the reign of Christ in our hearts, our minds, and our souls? Would you pray with me? You, O God, are Christ the King. You're a different kind of King who offers us a grace and love that knows no end. You ask so little of us in return, but that we would show your grace throughout the kingdom. Let us ever walk in your light, O God. Amen.